702 for the curious. So very quickly on the question of who is responsible for the court order that resulted in the demolition of um, home structures in Alex. Uh, and I'm still going to be taking that call from you on 11 and why that answer is not forthcoming, clearly forthcoming. Uh, but uh, these are some of the messages that have come through on the 072-702-1702 WhatsApp line. Uh, this person says, uh, Sipo says, Aubrey, DA Mashaba is hiding behind the thumb. Uh, City of Johannesburg authorized Red Ant's actions. Should we use Poppy to get access to that information, says Sipo? Yeah, maybe we should, Sipo. But I suppose the question, Sipo, is which political administration of the City of Johannesburg uh, authorize that particular uh, court order is the question that we need to be answering. And this person, uh, Tahir Tabi Somolo, says, Perhaps it's obvious answer that ANC and its cro- cockroaches are behind the demolition of those structures or properties because we know how ANC operates, and that's Tahir Tabi Somolo in Forest Hill. I'm still going to be taking questions as far as this is concerned, but I do want to hear your thoughts about the legalities of the matter. One. Two, uh, the fact that the executive mayor has now promised to rebuild those structures in the context of what the ANC is saying was in to begin with an illegal building of those structures. I, I do want to have that conversation. But joining me now is Deputy National Coordina- Coordinator of um, South African Nonprofit uh, Advocacy Group, Right to Know, who are going to be acting as friends of the court uh, in the matter regarding the Rika laws, and Khalib Khalant, Khalant is my guest. Khalib, hi, and thank you very much for joining us. Evening, Aubrey, and your listeners. So the issue of privacy is is an age-old uh, debate. Um, you know, people who are bureaucrats, who are state operatives, have always argued that uh, we need this kind of uh, of, 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 of entering into your private space in order to keep the country safe. That's why we got the trouble in, uh, in uh, Nigeria with regards to MTN uh, and not necessary, uh, not forcing people to Rika in Nigeria and so forth. But then there are those who argue like you do, who say, no, no, but people need to be given uh, a heads up as to whether or not they are under surveillance. Give me what the nub of your argument is in this matter, uh, Khalib. So we have four planks to our argument. One is that even issues of national security aside, the current RICA framework and the current regulatory framework doesn't um, even seem to touch sides with that argument. The reality is that uh, we are being mass surveilled. Everyone is being surveilled, whether you pose a, a threat to national security or not. Um, by the National Communication Center just outside Pretoria, and they've been doing that extra-legally for years um, and with no um, recourse or no no reference to any kind of legal provision. So that um, needs to stop. Um, So basically what you're saying is that that you, you have no problems with the arguments that are that are suggesting that there's a need to protect the country, as it were. Uh, You just have a problem with which it is currently being done, and you are saying that it is not being done legally. So it's a little bit more complicated than that. Yeah. Um, Because 
the argument of national security, of terrorism, for example, yeah. and serious crimes, yeah. those are the ones that are often um, profit up by the security cluster. Um, and one can accept that there may be those grounds for an invasion of um, citizens, ordinary citizens' privacy. Yes. But you, have to, you, you must remember that um, the, the constitutional principle is that um, any um, limitation of a fundamental right, like the right to privacy, yeah. um, must be as restrictive as possible. And that's really the problem. Yes. Is that uh, while we do have a regulatory framework, we have, for example, RICA in place. Yes. RICA is either, is in many cases inadequate um, and is being flouted. And yes. that's, I think, for us the, the, the bigger problem, is that in spite of a legal framework, in spite of having um, an, a former constitutional court judge being the RICA judge, um, that is being bypassed um, in the vast majority of cases. Um, that's the first piece. The second piece is that um, government has arrogated to itself the right to instruct service providers, anyone providing um, indirect communication services, um, uh, telephones, um, mobile phones, uh, email service provider, etc., yeah. um, to instruct them to hold on to the metadata. So this is all the information about who you spoke to, from which computer your email went to, where, yes. which computer, that might be. All of that very complicated metadata uh, for a period of up to five years. And then that data and information can also be mined by any prosecutor by, in relation to any crime or for any purpose. And so that's way too wide. Um, your personal information um, is there for anyone who has the right computer program um, and whether or not they have the proper authority yeah. is, is another question, yeah. to mine. Yeah. And that really is the problem. So, so, so you, you're basically arguing to say that it's easy for anybody to develop a case against any South African on the basis of the fact that there is this metadata you're talking about without necessarily it being in any way close to the, to the truth. So in other words, you can, you can manufacture a narrative about anybody because this information is there. All you need to do is just connect the dots in a way that would be favorable to your particular charge, right? So when, once the metadata is archived, um, so there, so Rika um, speaks of the interception of a current piece of uh, communication. Yes. So me speaking to you over this telephone now uh, is indirect communication. Rika ha- is a framework about how this can be uh, intercepted. Yeah. yeah. So that's one piece. Um, but once it's archived for five years, mandated so by our government, yes. uh, so the service provider is forced to do this, and to hold it on private servers, yes. um, a prosecutor under Section 205, a different piece of legislation of the um, Criminal Procedure Act, yes. could then go and say, mm, you know, we're a little bit suspicious of Ghalib. He may have done something. Can we see what, who he spoke to on the 24th of February 2019? Yes. You know, can you give us that information? Um, and... Given that the process is really easy to to 
come by that and it be shrouded in mystery and secrecy, I won't even know that that investigation is happening. Yes. And I won't even be told once nothing is found, because I didn't say anything controversial on 24th of February, Yes. Um, that um, I was being investigated. And that's one of the other arguments that we're making. Yes. Um, because there are provisions in other jurisdictions for post-investigation notification. You were surveilled, at the very least. Um, we don't even have that. All right, so, so, so you're going to be going into this uh, court battle that has fundamentally being um, launched by Amapungani Center of Investigative Journalism, but you're going to be supporting, I suppose, their story, but as a friend of the court. Just explain to me that relationship and how it works. Yeah, so Amapungani is the applicant in, in this matter, and they're dealing with uh, the surveillance and interception of um, communications of one of their journalists, Sam Sol. So it's very much that case. Uh, that's being um, argued before the court. Uh, both Privacy International and Right to Know are then bringing, uh, from our experience and our advocacy, um, some additional points for the uh. court to to consider um, around the constitutionality, specifically of of RICA and these provisions, and the dangers to the protection of privacy um, that this very lax framework that we do have um, mm. poses for not only journalists or activists, bearing in mind, um, but, but, but for citizens generally. Also bear in mind, in March, um, the presidency released um, the high-level report, panel report, on the state security agency. And that um, acknowledged that certain organizations, my own included, right to know, um, have been surveilled and possibly even infiltrated. Yeah. Um, and there were several high, um, high-ranking well, NGOs and activist groups um, in, in that in that web, um, and so 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 this happening, and so we have even the state security agency acknowledging that this is happening. Yeah. So the, the fact that we have such a lax framework, regulatory framework, and oversight framework means that this carte blanche. Um, you know, all of that data is available, and who knows? We've seen political battles being fought, um, you know, the factionalism, yeah, all of sure. those things. So, so uh, when and where exactly is this case going to be heard, Khalib? Uh, so it's currently being heard in the North Gauteng High Court yep. um, in Pretoria. Uh, it start, the case started today and is set down to run until Thursday. Um, yeah. Well, we've invited Dr. Kate Skinner, Executive Director at SUNEF, to join us in this conversation because no more, no, you know, I don't know how much South Africans, normal, you know, hardworking South Africans are aware of how the RICA law actually practically um, affects them. But uh, people who are in the media space, uh, journalists, media practitioners, are very, very, very sensitive to this. And uh, that's why we've asked Dr. Kate Skinner to join us. And she's executive director at uh, SANEF. Dr. Kate Skinner, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate your time. 
Well, good evening. So you are going to be supporting um, uh, uh, the right to know and, of course, uh, the Amapungani um, in this particular issue. But yours is a perhaps slightly narrower you know, uh, participation in this matter in that you are highlighting the dangers that Rika has on uh, media practitioners, journalists. Please tell us a little bit more about that. Yes, so, so we're not actually playing the role of friends of the court, um, yeah. but we are absolutely, as you're saying, supporting the case. Um, and you're also correct to say that our particular interest is around journalists um, and what has been happening in terms of this kind of lax framework that we're talking about um, and how that's impacted on journalists. But I think also it's important to say that, you know, if journalists are um, actually um, under surveillance, um, you know, that's got to, going to have a chilling effect in terms of uh, media freedom. And yeah. that actually ultimately impacts, of course, on citizens, uh, because citizens aren't going to get, you know, the kind of investigations and the information from those investigations that they need, yes. you know, and that they need to know about. And so I think that's where it impacts on, on, on your kind of listeners, um, is that it is a problem when, when, when journalists are under surveillance. Um, and it's absolutely correct that we have um, picked up some very uh, disturbing um, information about a number of journalists that have been under surveillance, yes. which shows that Rita isn't working as it should be. How, um, first, fact, first of all, right, first of all yeah. Kate, uh, just before you continue, I'm sorry to jump in. Yes. How do no, no, you sure. get that information? How do you get information? And, and really, this is just an ignorant question from me. But how do you get information that somebody is being... Uh, is under surveillance. Um, uh, I mean, we've heard the SG of the ANC it's saying that. Yeah. Uh, how do you get that information? It's a very good question. So, so there'll be various ways. And I think that it's important to point out that there was an absolutely excellent report, in fact, done by the Right to Know campaign, uh, called Spooked Surveillance of Journalists in South Africa. Um, and it was released last year in 2018. And I really suggest that people actually have a look at this document and this research. It's, it's absolutely excellent. And I, I'm, I'm presuming it's on the Right to Know yeah. uh, website. It's certainly on the SANEF website. Um, so um, how, how do journalists know that they have been um, under surveillance? I mean, there are various ways. Um, one is that transcripts of those um, particular discussions get leaked. And then they see these transcripts and they're like, oh, okay, I was under surveillance. This, 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 this particular private conversation is, is, you know, I've now got a record that, that it, you know, some, someone was actually, um, you know, recording it. Um, the other thing which has been interesting is um, in some of the case studies that the Right to Know campaign has done in this particular book is that, um, for instance, two journalists, Mizilakazi um, Wa Africa and, and Stefan Hofstadter, um, were actually told by um, senior... Uh, I remember that, um, yeah. ...senior police people that, in fact, um, they a- had been under surveillance. So, so this particular police officer actually came to them and said, "Look, we we were illegally tapping your 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 phone." Um, so, um, you know, and also the the, the thing that I think um, it also points to the fact that certain journalists have been under surveillance is interesting. So, for instance, the the SABC eight um, journalists. Yes you know, that were really under attack from Claudia Mott's name, they were extremely worried about the fact that they would have private conversations, um, they would have private meetings, um, and then um, they would get these threatening SMSs and WhatsApp messages, uh, basically talking about things that they had wow. clearly been speaking into their private conversations in their private meetings. 
Um, and so there was evidence, um, you know, and particularly um, very worrying kind of times for them when they were, um, you know, actually uh, going before Parliament and uh, testifying. Um, they were trying to get their jobs back at the SEBC. Um, there's some very interesting information that, that came out around the SEBC 8. So I think I think there are various ways that it becomes obvious that, that you have been under surveillance. But I think the, the, the major point to make there is the fact that, you know, if your journalists are under surveillance, it means they are then, it, it has potentially this chilling effect on people doing these sure. really critical investigations. Uh, uh, Dr. Skate, um, Kate Skinner, I, I get that uh, in as far as how RICA has the potential of being very negative for uh, for journalism, for those who peddle in the business of information and so forth. But let me bring Khalid back into this conversation. How does it affect the person on the street if not, if not, or how does it affect a person on the street, a normal South African um, uh, who is not a journalist who is not a talk show host who is not a politician how does it affect the person on the street and why should the listeners of 702 support your position in this particular case Khalib? so um if you have a smartphone um and you have any of the google apps for example yeah um i know my phone um at the end of the year tells me Khalid, would you like to have a look at where you've been this year yeah. And Google Maps will then show me um, my movements um, and it will tell me that I went to this mall so many times. Yeah. So that's, so that's the, um, the kind of information that your smartphone is um, recording of you. So just simple location information. That's part of the me- metadata. Um, so but then, but then, shouldn't phone, the shouldn't the message Khalib be going out? And, and I suppose I'm being a bit ignorant here, but shouldn't the message be going out to say, stop tweeting that I'm having breakfast at such and such a place? <laughs> you know, it st- doesn't even require that. Yeah, this is just the location services on your phone. Wow, you don't even have an Instagram account, and you shouldn't. It's not about you tweeting um, a picture. It's Every time your cell phone pings a tower, um, its location is recorded. That's all stored in metadata. Over and above that, it's the tele- the, the staying of the cell phone. Um, it's the numbers you call, not necessarily your, your conversation, although the, the questions around whether those also are, are recorded. Yes. But, but all, all of that information, so on what day, at what time, you be able to see that I had a conversation with my friend, Joe Bloch, on this day at that time. I can almost hear so, somebody say, Khalib, that yeah. well, if you've got nothing to hide, why, are you, why would you be sensitive about the fact that your phone can ping? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> why, 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 why would you have a problem with the fact that your phone uh, automatically rec- records your your geographical position, or what numbers you've uh, you've dialed at so at some point. What, what, how do how do you respond to that to that question? Or your bank details if you're doing online banking. Oh, <laughs> so so that's really the point that this is incredibly personal information. Yeah, yeah. So whether I'm doing something wrong or not, that's personal information, and that really shouldn't be 
open to everybody. We have a Protection of Person, uh, Personal Information Act that's not in place. And so as consumers, as citizens, we're, we're vulnerable. Um, and so having this data available, um, we started this conversation saying in the national interest, right, or serious yeah. crimes. But the data is there um, on everybody, whether they are criminal or not, whether they are a petty criminal or not, whether they are a serious criminal or not, whether they actually pose a threat or not. That's really the, the, the problem. Um, and yeah. so, so for, for all of us, um, and that mass surveillance has been ongoing for the last, easily the last decade. Um, but our, our argument around RICO is that the, these, um, the regulations, are not adequate to protect not journalists or activists, um, but ordinary people as Doc- well. Dr. Kate Skinner, what needs to happen with the current laws, uh, the current RICA laws, in order to make you as journalists, as media practitioners, feel that you are in a safe uh, environment and uh, in a context that appreciates the work that the media is doing without necessarily having to be uh, Gestapoed, as it were? <laughs> yeah, so good question. I mean, I think, I think there are a couple of things. I mean, the one thing is that we think that it's incredibly important that, you know, whatever law is in place is very careful about the information that is gathered, uh, this personal information that's gathered, and particularly, um, you know, if the, the, the information is being gathered through interception. So we're saying um, there should be specific ways that um, state officials should examine, copy, store, sort, destroy, you know, that data. So if they have intercepted that data, it shouldn't just be left open to whatever the state official wants to do with that data. There has to be, um, you know, specifications around how it's used. The other, the other thing that we're, we're pointing out that is important is that, you know, a judge will, will have to um, basically stipulate whether, whether a person can, in fact, yeah. uh, be put under surveillance or not. And we're saying, you know, I mean, that might sound absolutely fine, but in fact, we want to make absolutely certain that the independence of, 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 of that judge is, is, is absolutely safeguarded. Um, the other thing which we, we want to make um, certain is, is um, you know, a, an issue which is looked into is just this bulk surveillance. Um, you know, the South African government claims, well, you know, governments all around the world are involved in bulk surveillance. And we're saying bulk surveillance actually allows for all kinds of problematic sure, sure. Um, uh, issues for, for journalists. Because again, bulk surveillance can allow, um, you know, uh, officials to then find about who our sources are. And K- Kate, I, I, I've, I've no. got to stop you because we've run out of time. I no really problem. would have loved to continue with this conversation. <laughs> Dr. Kate Skinner, uh, Skinner at uh, exec or executive at uh, di- and director at Sunf. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, that's a pleasure. Much appreciated, Khalib. How do people support you? How do people follow you? How do people support your uh, your your crusade, as it were? I think by being more conscious, by joining our campaign also um, to get uh, the, the spies to spy on us, uh, to stop them from spying on us, yep. um, and by making a noise. Um, everyone with a cell phone, sure, um, you have uh, you have it in your pocket to um, to make a difference. Let's leave it there, uh, Khalib Khalan. Thank you very much for your time, sir. Really appreciate uh, the insights you've given us tonight.